One promise of hyperconverged infrastructure is ease of management. Break down the silos, put all the components into a unified hole displayed in a single pane of glass, and voila, apps are served. But networking hasn't been integrated as effectively into HCI as the other components of the IT stack. Networking, even in an HCI world, tends to be difficult, complicated, and with the dynamic needs of HCI, just not keeping up. The days of standing up the network and letting it run are past because a best effort, rough approximation of how the network should behave, that isn't something that you have to settle for anymore. Discussing integration of HCI with networking is Big Switch Networks, our sponsor for today's Priority Q. Prashant Gandhi, Chief Product Officer at Big Switch, is on the mic. Prashant, welcome to the Packet Pushers Priority Q, and, and let's jump right into our discussion here. Um... Can you, when we talk about HCI, hyperconverged infrastructure, can you give us an idea of what the attributes of HCI are that make the data center that most of us would design maybe not good enough, inadequate? Well, HCI is really hyperconverged infrastructure. So the idea is to have uh, storage and compute and uh, to some extent networking to be, be converged. Um, much of it is today happening on the server. So you have... Uh, uh, distributed storage, uh, you have uh, compute and uh, and network, primarily vSwitch, uh, converged on uh, on the compute infrastructure. It's the emergence of this um, data center in a rack kind of thing. You've got commodity x86s, and all of those x86 servers do not only the VMs, but they also do the storage as well as the net, and then the software networking that's in the switch is kind of what's driving that hyperconvergence, isn't it? Um, absolutely. Uh, you know, earlier the pieces were different, right? We had a compute stack, we had storage, um, we had network, all of these were our separate entities and uh, uh, they are being converged uh, into into building a private cloud. I mean, that's the experience that uh, mm -hmm. customers want. I think the great thing about the hyperconverged is that because you've got this hardware out the way and the storage is now software on x86, we're seeing companies come out that actually just focus on the software on top and their ability to create and manage VMs and the storage of VMs and the networking of the VMs. And there are multiple options uh, available today. And, uh, you know, one of the things we've heard is that how does a physical network interact with this? And we constantly hear that, the uh, you know physical network is still in the way, and and how does that, well, with the principles and the benefits that HCI is bringing in the data center? Yeah, the physical network being in the way, you know, a common uh, well, this this goes back for some years, right? That the network is in the way. That whole idea, uh, we're making all these tools to orchestrate and automate everything else in the stack, but that networking is still hard. Why is it that networking is the opposite of the, uh, well, let's call it the app experience. You know, you bring up your phone, loading an app, using that app is very straightforward, but the networking part of the IT stack doesn't seem to be very close to that experience. Is this a, a complexity problem or is there a way that we can make it more simple that you can actually get to that, uh, like that that phone, that iOS or Android kind of experience? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a... A fantastic question. It's really, if we look at networking for the last 20 years, it's been really box by box. So we have to, we are forced to do manual provisioning on each of the box, uh, you know, run a variety of protocols. These protocols have to be converged. And so all of that has been very manual. Uh, we really focused on in physical networking, you know, how to optimize the day in the life of a packet. And, uh, you know, technologies like HCI demand that, uh, that it is, uh, really thought through from the perspective of a human's uh, interaction with uh, with the network, uh, you know, have a totally different experience than what we had before. 
I think sometimes it's a difference. We're, we're seeing a change in IT generally, especially in enterprise IT. We're seeing a change from day zero, you know, what I'm buying, to day one, how am I going to get it deployed? And now what we're really seeing is a really focus from the vendors to day two. How do I operate this? How do I simplify my ownership of this? And I think hyperconvergence is a reflection of this awareness of not only does it have to work at day zero, in other words, solve my immediate problem, and it has to be easy to deploy, it also has to be easy to operate. And I think... Uh, this is the key issue in in hyperconversion is that it's e it solves well it does a fairly good job in doing all three of those. And the additional point, absolutely additional point that was highlighted earlier is the open environment, right? Open standard based uh, hardware in the hyperconverged case, it's the x86 environment. What about the network? And you know there is a trend now to to have the open networking hardware be leveraged and and have the software to sure. to bring the the networking you know stack on top of it so that you have. Yeah, completely, um, you know, a vendor uh, neutral environment from hardware perspective. And I think it's because we have the storage networking is, I think, is a key issue here. So because there's storage software on top of the x86s, we've got a completely different traffic pattern compared to, you know, data centers of old. Yeah, I mean, storage is distributed across many server instances, right? And so it is, uh, the clusters need to be uh, provisioned logically. So there is a lot of traffic that is now east-west across uh, cross racks as uh, servers are, or store HCI hosts are deployed across racks. And often it's on any server. So you have this challenge where the storage can be on every single server that's in a HCI. It depends. Different vendors go about it different ways. Some of them have storage blades. Some of them have storage servers. Some of them just place the, the you know, the VM runs on any server that's in the, in the rack, or some of them actually put the LUNs on the server where the VM is and keep moving them around. And I, that's a real transition from where we used to be. You know, the storage server was used over there and the servers would talk to it. You could almost build the network knowing exactly where the traffic patterns are, and that's not holding true anymore. Yeah, Greg, I think you just hit on something there. So, okay, so we're talking about distributed storage, your Prashant, which you mentioned. And the issue here in my mind is that Traffic in the data center isn't predictable. It used to be, I'm going to stand up this network and it's going to just, I'm, I'm going to over-provision bandwidth and it's going to handle whatever the traffic is. Now, the traffic moves around, workloads can move around, storage can move around. So we have this sort of dynamic network need where what we might need from one hour to the next is going to vary. So Prashant, what I'm curious about is how do you deal with that? If we're in the context of hyperconverged infrastructure, how do you get the network on board with what the HCI needs at any given time? so that the network is what it needs to be uh, as traffic patterns change? The question uh, now becomes is that as you have such a dynamic and highly distributed environment, a uh, lot of inter-server or inter-host and cross-rack traffic to deal with, the first uh, aspect is how do I get more bandwidth, right? I mean, so there is a transition to uh, from 1040 to 2500. So you get some, uh, some benefit out of that, uh, you know, in terms of bandwidth. Uh, the other is uh, really you want the storage traffic to be um, prioritized, as we did in the in the old days also, and so so QoS becomes very important. So these are two kind kind of common uh, data plane characteristics that you would you know enhance on. Okay, you said QoS becomes very important. So dive into that for a minute. I mean, a lot of times a network engineer in a data center would throw uh, some kind of just a, a standard template that's going to prioritize certain classes of traffic over the other. You know, maybe you know, storage needs to be prioritized, so we're going to prioritize that and, and so on. But that QoS requirement and the path from end, between endpoints can vary. So are you suggesting that you know, dynamic QoS is being applied as traffic patterns change? 
it's less about a change of the traffic patterns. It's more about how do you continue to, you know, as change management occurs within your environment, how does, you know, provisioning of QoS becomes uh, automatic uh, based on policy. Uh, okay, we're standing and, up a new pod or a cluster and this needs to be provisioned. And rather than someone sitting there and having to thump out a QoS template across a bunch of interfaces, having it automated? Exactly. So, and this is true for every um, change management operations, right? We talked about QoS, uh, but if I'm adding hosts, if I'm adding, you know, more racks, uh, if I'm adding more spine switches, how does change management become simple? And I think Greg earlier pointed out day zero, day one, day two, uh, it is really that operational uh, life cycle that one has to look at when deploying HCI and how does, uh, you know, what kind of network do you need to make that totally streamlined. So you get the speed that HCI, um, you know, is giving you um, so that the network is operating at the speed of HCI. It sounds like you just said intent-based networking maybe too. So I'm sorry, I can't help but poke that bear a little bit. Uh, Because if it's going to be automated, that implies we're not programming in some very specific uh, well, we were talking about QoS, so we're not programming in some specific QoS policy. We're saying, I need to, we're declaring, I need this sort of prioritization across the network when we stand up these new hosts, and I want that to be pushed down into the infrastructure, uh, whatever the specifics might be, without me having to program in all of those specifics myself. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, uh, are we uh, looking at the definition of, you know, for example, what is automation versus what is uh, programmable? Um, you know, so we are not saying that this needs to be predictive, but uh, it can be predictive over time. But certainly automation means that there is an entity that, you know, recognizes this and um, and programs the switches appropriately or the policies appropriately so that, um, you know, human intervention is not required. And, and Prashant, I think also the, the the big switch way of doing things is not only do you want to be configuring the virtual switch, you also want to be configuring the physical part. So we talked earlier about the network doing distributed storage and storage flows going all over the place, but there's also application flows. So we're starting to see things like Hadoop, which do east-west as well as north-south. We're seeing uh, micro-segmentation as a use case, which is where the vSwitch does stuff. And sometimes what we actually need is the ability to map the physical network into the overlay and for all of that to come together. And this is part of the hyperconverged story. Is And I think what you're doing with Big Switch takes us down that path. Um, it does. I mean, the way we have uh, thought about, you know, the network is um, how do you bring, you know, Google-style architecture, which is open hardware, you know, software controls, mm. um, and a logical definition of the network. Uh, and... Uh, you know, Amazon style um, provisioning model. Yeah. And combination of this allows one to, you know, essentially uh, specify the network for specific uh, types of workloads, whether it's uh, HCI or let's say VMware Compute or vSAN, uh, Nutanix HCI um, or others where um, through integration, uh, we are able to automate um, the network environment, network policies, as change management is occurring or changes are occurring in the, um, let's say, in the specific case, the HCI environment. So what are the changes? I may be adding a host. Um, how do I get the network to automatically 
and and configure the top of rack uh, links to the top of rack switches in an MLAC fashion. This way, um, HCI team can keep adding hosts or removing hosts. How to really, you know, interact uh, with the network team from the perspective of uh, initiating tickets. Um, so you clearly yeah. get that speed that you need at uh, at the speed at which you're uh, deploying HCI host. Yeah, I watched a demo of this, Prashant, that you guys put out of the integration with uh, Nutanix H- uh, AHV and showed, okay, so someone's doing something on the Nutanix cluster, standing up a new VLAN, and then this, this presumes the connections has already been made between Big Cloud Fabric and uh, the Nutanix environment. But then on the on, on the BCF interface, you see, okay, this just got created in the Nutanix environment, and BCF knows about it and does what is required to instantiate a new VLAN, um, add a new IP address space and make it routable uh, across the fabric and so on. Yeah, exactly. And the magic really here is to, um, you know, first is the definition of the network is really um, a logical switch and and hence the name of the company, Big Switch. So it doesn't matter how big your fabric is. You know, the fabric can go to 128 leaf switches, 12 spine switches, you like 140 switch big fabric, uh, but it operates or behaves like one logical, you know, redundant switch. So what does that mean? It means that the complexity of provisioning this uh, logical switch is never more than one switch, despite the fact that, you know, underneath it, there are 140 distributed switches. Um, Secondly, the fact that it is um, uh, controller driven, an STM controller driven, uh, big cloud fabric controller, that it's a single point of integration into orchestration systems. So in the case of uh, HCI, whether it's Nutanix uh, Prism or uh, VMware um, vSphere for vSAN, uh, that you integrate, uh, so with that integration, um, you know, we are able to tap into the APIs uh, of the HCI infrastructure. And as we learn change management occurring or changes occurring in HCI environment, uh, through that API integration, then, um, recognizing that and uh, appropriately provisioning the physical network um, uh, as per the uh, source of truth that is, uh, you know, through the HCI environment. So as you talked about, you know, provisioning of VLAN, so bo- bootstrapping, right? So if a, if a node is attached, um, there is a, a management VLAN that HCI systems typically use so that they can communicate amongst themselves. And with Big Cloud Fabric, that is automatically configured, that bootstrapping VLAN. Um, as a, a VM is in, instantiated, that's uh, the physical L2 network, L2 network uh, on the physical fabric, uh, many leaf switches and spine switches, is then automatically configured. because uh, So we have that visibility through the integration into HCI environment. So curious about the, just to take a departure from the technical side and talk about the people side for a moment. So I'm hearing server people and virtualization folks that are listening to what this go, oh, awesome. I can just go forth and create and the network is not no longer in my way. I'm off and running. And the network people going, but I want control. I want the VLANs and the IP address space and so on to be exactly what we need them to be for, you know, what, whatever good network design would be in their minds. How is that, what are you seeing with customers? How are they addressing those concerns? Quite amazing, you know, uh, the conversations that we have with uh, our network teams, right? One of the things that they are really looking to do is to how do they bring these cloud-style innovations uh, at the CIO's innovation table? Uh, Remain a first-class citizen at the innovations table uh, when these uh, discussions are, are occurring. And clearly, storage team, 
compute team are bringing um, you know, containers, uh, HCI innovations to the table here. And we see networking teams, you know, wanting to then have physical network in, in this specific case, you know, th these are CCIEs and JCIEs um, would like to bring the, uh, the innovations, you know, that bring speed, lower cost and ability to deploy services very fast. So, and they know that their teams are not growing, so they have to do more with the team that we that they have. So there's no choice but to bring uh, automation, bring verification to this environment. So what they are asking is, yes, we need speed from the network, So, uh, but we need to trust the automation that is. So speed as in the, the network needs to be you know, configured to support changes. Uh, we're not just talking about bandwidth, we're talking about becoming what it needs to become to support the infrastructure? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great point because speed is overloaded. So yes, it's no longer about, I think once you go to 1040 or 2500, you got the bandwidth, you know, the speed from that perspective um, becomes now your biggest bottleneck. And, and that's where, um, uh, you know, a lot of the innovation uh, in networking is occurring. And that's where Big Switch is really focused on. How do we bring... Uh, okay, that speed yeah. to match to the speed of the HCI. Match How do I the change the of, flows of from host to host? How do I change the routing? How do I change the switching? How do I connect apps together is really what it is. And underneath that, there's flows and packets and frames and switching and routing and path control. But really, it's about this app needs to talk to this app, and that's in a VM, but that VM could be anywhere. And increasingly, it's going to be in containers too. Absolutely. could be anywhere. could move at any time. Could uh, that entire um, you know inf environment can get elastically scaled up or scaled down, and mm. so these are you know sort of the changes that are occurring, and it's very hard for a human to to be in in the middle of this uh, you know this sort of changes. Well, mm. even saying it's very hard for a human to be in the middle is is charitable, uh, because it's it's actually impossible. Um, to, you can't right. as a human yes. being perform at any sort of speed that would be relevant to uh, to a data center that operates in this way. So is there still a, an ability to do like a line of demarcation where there's a network team with a responsibility and a virtualization team with some responsibility and there's this line? Or is it now that people kind of have some overlapping responsibilities and specialties, but they're really working together on a common team? So we have seen both. I mean, it's really a customer's journey uh, into where they are today, uh, you know, perhaps silo teams into a more cloud style team or converged team. But uh, in, in either case, ability to to verify the automation that has taken place, it becomes very important. With network automation, you're able to handle all the change management that occurs in the HCI landscape. But because of the real-time verification and visibility and telemetry that the network team gets, they're able to see exactly what is going on underneath under the metal. So, okay, so they, well, really everybody can, because I know, again, going back to the demo that I watched before we recorded, um, there is, some view into the network on, well, just go back to that specific uh, video, the Nutanix side of things, and then on the big cloud fabric side of things in that interface, you can see what's going on on the Nutanix side. So there was um, visualization on both sides as to what's really happening, giving both silos, for lack of a better word, insights, uh, fairly deep insights into what the demands are and then what's actually happening in both worlds. Um, you know, we've, we recognize that consistency is very important in order for um, multiple infrastructure teams 
to collaborate. Even if it's the same team, you have different expertise uh, with people within the same team. And so, so how do you, you know, provide consistency when you're collaborating so that you can address issues rapidly? And, uh, and having visibility of the hyperconverged infrastructure, you know, host, VMs, um, cluster information to the networking team becomes very important when, um, you know, when automation is occurring or when you have to do troubleshooting. Vice versa, you know, we felt that uh, in the fabric level visibility to the HCI team, to the cloud team is also important. And so having uh, a big switch plugin into these orchestration systems uh, allows, you know, a, an HCI person click on the, uh, the big switch, um, uh, you know, tab and see how the fabric is connected to the HCI node. And in fact, they can do even the troubleshooting and they can see as they have deployed VMs and applications and let's say application connectivity is not taking place, is it the problem with HCI or is it the problem in the physical network? And they can actually do a troubleshooting session without changing anything on the network uh, to see if the hosts uh, or the VMs uh, are connected over the physical fabric. And this way, you can easily determine whether you have a problem in the network, problem in the policy, or problem in, in the storage or the host itself. And so that ability to delineate very quickly which portion of this converged environment um, is likely to have the issue you know, is kind of the first step to, to get to a faster resolution. Yeah, you've got a unified set of tools effectively, uh, going back to that single pane of glass, that term that we, we all say and love to <laughs> hate right. because it's rarely true, but there's some truth here to that single pane of glass idea. Well, I think, in I some think, ways, it's slightly distributed, right? So you have yeah. you have some pane uh, on one uh, network team, you have another, another pane on the, on the HCI side, but they're consistent, so they're able to see each other's environment. Um, hmm. That's the big change around with Hyperconverged is that, you know, your Hyperconverged provider, whoever it might be, will give you their management interface. But increasingly, the networking people might look at the networking single pane of glass, but it's integrated with the Hyperconverged pane of glass mm. so that you're all looking at the same data. You're not looking at two, like in the old days when networking people were handcrafting their artisanal CLI configurations they would have a completely different view in their minds of what traffic flows were doing and, and the, completely on how the way servers looked. And, and whereas the server people would just think the network was like this cloud and as long as the cable's in the back, you're good to go. Whereas with the hyper-converged and the management tooling that we get, there's a decided integration there that really shifts the, shifts the way we operate them. That, to me, is, is the key to, to getting more value out of the infrastructure that we have in place. And I think it's really the day and operational environment. This is where a lot of the time is spent, whether it's uh, adding capacity or uh, troubleshooting and streamlining day end, you know, mm. in addition to day one, day two, you know, gives the uh, these teams the uh, operational speed that they are they're looking yeah. for. And that's really the value of hyperconverged platforms is this ability to just plug in a rack, plug in another rack. And I think the challenge is, is as they scale up those hope, you know, provided it works for them because they adopt it and, and run it. That's a different debate for another day. The, the, the issue That's here right. is how they scale up. So if you go from three racks, you can get away with three racks of gear with a couple of switches. But if you suddenly start going up to 10, you do have a physical networking transition that you have to go through to start connecting all the racks together. It is. And and I think the, uh, the, the complexity of uh, scaling from three racks to 10 racks should be 
nothing more than just you know physically adding the racks mm. about how you cable because you know if you if I remember some of the old days uh, you know you would have to go to Visio wiring you would have to plug in exactly in the right ports uh, for you know servers <laughs> to to leaf switches leaf switches to spine switches if you if you make that physical connection incorrect then you know kind of uh, there's a big mess uh, that you create so how do you you know just arbitrarily plug cables arbitrarily in the sense that you know from server port to any switch port uh, from top of rack switches to spine switches but any any port in the spine switch mm. and have the machine have the intelligence uh, you know the software intelligence take care of what it means and i think this is the big uh, aha moment that we had and, and a lot of the investments that we have made to let the machine bring this intelligence uh, and not have to let the human worry about it. You just brought a tear to my eye. Okay, so so dramatic story here. I, it was in a, a data center that went through a very active growth and build state for a couple of years. We were standing up new racks, uh, adding new top of rack switches and then plumbing them back to, well, it wasn't a spine back in those days, but it was a core switch. And we had this very meticulous process that we did. Patch the fiber here, plug this port into this port, and this port into this port, stand up this. Now you can enable this port and, and verify everything. And if anybody got anything wrong, spanning tree loop, because reasons. We won't go into all that design right now. So what you just described is so different from that, Prashant, where, um, right, what if we could just plug everything in somewhat arbitrarily? It's still some logic required for bandwidth and so on, but... Uh, and then have the system kind of figure out what all is plugged into where and apply, apply the appropriate configuration and policy where it needs to go. That is a very different world. It's not that the technology is not here. It's just that, you know, how do you start with an architecture and a mindset, uh, right? If you start with a mindset uh, that, you know, I would like to have a Google-style uh, architecture and Amazon-style uh, or, or, you know, iPhone-style user experience, then all of this, uh, you know, infrastructure innovations, uh, um, you know, get built in from day one. And also don't have um, to sit in change control meetings. Or yeah, just, that's right. <laughs> because you presented them with an interface that says you can have these things. Feel free to pull those levers or configure those things because I'll take care of it after that. But exactly. sort yourself out. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, the lack of change control meetings and saying here, to the server people, these are your self-configuration options to some extent, and you can go off and spend time working on real work instead of scut work. Yep. And then, you know, if we move to from day zero to day one, now we have to provision the fabric, you know, every switch, you have to go configure BGP. There is a, a ton of things that, that are required to get running, right, That's which we call day one. And uh, why should you need to do all that? Why can't the machine apply algorithms to figure all that out and stand up the fabric? The challenge that we had in networking and it was that we wanted an arbitrary topology. So if you have an arbitrary topology, then it becomes much harder to automate all of that. But if you come up, if you say that I'm going to deal with a structured topology, yeah, should be done, you know, uh, with, with with a very bounded set of uh, set of algorithms and rules, and and that's what Big Switch and Big Cloud Fabric. That's what we focused on. We said, hey, we're going to focus on a least point structured topology put that constraint on the topology, then how should it behave and how do we bring it up? And well, all you have to do is once you cable it up, power it on and just walk away 
and the fabric will, you know, the controller will automatically form the fabric. And that's where we've talked about in previous shows about zero-touch provisioning, auto-discovery, you handle the, the code and everything. That's all done from within the controller. Absolutely. So you just go to the controller, all the switches pop up, then the controller goes and delivers the images. The switches uh, are booted up with the right image. They get the right configurations. The fabric is formed and ready for, um, you know, uh, host to be connected. Or if the hosts are already there um, with the integration, hosts are automatically detected. MLAG is already configured. And you're ready to uh, deploy VM containers and applications. And all this happens, you know, within a few minutes, which is kind of amazing. Well, there's, okay, there's a, a unicorn just galloped by there. Uh, so let's write in the unicorn. When you do the day zero and one. Was it a pink one or a blue one? That's, I, that's what I'm not sure. Let's get to the chance. So for Shant, when, um, on the day zero and day one, sure. Okay, so I'm going to assume, first of all, this is probably Greenfield or at least a new pod, let's say, of, of Big Switch gear that's going into a data center and right they you you stand up all the switches you you plug them in once they've got some kind of network connectivity they can phone home to the controller discover what uh and then they're told right zero touch provisioning what they're supposed to uh, be like and how they're supposed to behave and what the fabric is that they're a part of all right um but then the integration with an HCI platform, surely there's some kind of manual steps that are required to make it talk to vCenter or make it talk to your container environment, et cetera, before you can start plumbing in hosts? Yeah. So so we always debate when we add capabilities uh, is that, is this going to be a zero-click operation, you know, which is zero touch? Is it going to be a one-click operation or is it going to be two-click operations, right? So we kind of really focus on, you know, how much, even clicking a user needs to do. So this one, so here, uh, absolutely, there has to be a, um, a connection into the orchestrator, HCI orchestrator. So for example, if it's uh, VMware vSAN, then it would be vSphere or uh, vCenter. If it's Nutanix uh, uh, AHV, then it would be Prism. So here you would you know, log into Prism and there is a workflow there. So you would log into Prism with appropriate credentials and all, that's all you need to do. Once you're connected and authorized by the orchestrator, and that's it. Uh, and you just refresh the screen, and all the hosts that were connected to the fabric are automatically discovered, and the links are automatically provisioned according to MLAG rules. Now, did you have to partner with Nutanix, vSphere, et cetera, to make those integrations work, or was it more, we know what the APIs are so we can make this happen? Um, I think the APIs often are open, but it is very important to you know, have that partnership with uh, Nutanix uh, um, and VMware. Uh, the reason for that is when customers deploy this, you want to make sure that the solution is certified. And um, and so, so our approach is to really make sure that that certification takes place. Um, and so um, when there is an issue and a support call is, uh, is placed, that, um, you know, support teams know that this is a validated solution. So that kind of implies that the support issue would go for for a networking challenge would go to uh, the hyper the, the HCI provider before it would go to Big Switch. Um, you know that really varies. Uh, oftentimes, what we heard from customers is that anytime there's an application connectivity issue, uh, typically the network team um, gets a call. So um, so our approach is to how do we you know. 
um, provide them the tools to make it very easy to do the troubleshooting. And not only that, before a call is made to the network team, can the uh, HCI team have the tool to check the network, right, from from their own console? So, mm. you know, mm. oh, VC or vCenter console, can I go and, and just two VMs that should be talking to each other and see whether or not that path is nailed down in the fabric? Got it. Uh, now, I, I, there's another question that we've hinted around but haven't really gotten into, and that is container networking. Uh, we've mentioned Nutanix and VMware and tight integrations there, and then cross-pollination in the various single panes of glass. But what about the container world? Is there, I mean, you've mentioned that there is support there. Can you talk about what deep integrations there might be into that world? Yeah, so very interestingly, you know, with containers, uh, the orchestration, you know, one of the, the most popular orchestration is uh, Kubernetes, right? Open source. Um, orchestration for containers. So what we've done is integrated with Kubernetes. And so, you know, any HCI system that leverages, uh, you know, Kubernetes, we would have a, you know, built-in, you know, already shipping uh, automation with containers. And all the principles that we talked about of what automation needs to occur, especially for day two operations, uh, uh, you know, for containers, uh, that's all supported and, and shipping today. Um, it's uh, if uh, someone's looking at a full container stack, uh, then um, you know oftentimes we've seen like Red Hat uh, OpenShift uh, to be uh, um, to be deployed, and and uh, you know we are fully um, certified with uh, that solution for containers. What is the integration uh, that needs to happen? Because there's so much in the container world that's actually happening at a software layer. It's 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 encapsulated and it's happening really above the hardware. So what? What is the role that hard hardware ends up playing? Um, so there are two levels of integration. One is um, the at least specifically for for the way Mixwitch um, does it with Big Cloud Fabric. The controller has a plugin for Kubernetes, and uh, and then there is um, um, an agent on the host uh, that leverages CNI. Um, you know, container network interface. And so combination of this allows containerized host to be connected to the network and, and all the network configuration for, um, you know, connecting to top of rack switches is automated. Uh, containers are visible, containers endpoints are visible to the network, not just IP address or MAC address, but now we are looking at container names. Oftentimes they're, uh-huh. they're um, provided as random names. If you look at, you know, in Kubernetes, uh, the container names are very random, uh, but they all show up in the um, in the uh, uh, switch uh, BCF controller GUI. Uh, and so you have that full visibility. And now as containers are dynamically um, or elastically, you know, get scaled up or scaled down, uh, the network is automatically created and, um, uh, you know, across the appropriate top of rack switches, the spine switches, all of that in the container world can occur dynamically and the network uh, adheres to the same speed and same, uh, you know, essentially follows uh, what the workloads demand. What about multi-tenancy then? Because where my brain just skipped to is in those environments, there tends to be a, a desire to separate different classes of applications from one another for, for a variety of reasons. Can we support that too? Or, or maybe the question's about network virtualization? You know, if we kind of look at multi-tenancy, uh, we look at it from two perspectives, right? One is, Ability to stand up, you know, concept of a tenant uh, that have uh, a secure, isolated enclave uh, 
with its own IP address space and um, and uh, L2 segment space, right? So, so, so that's one aspect of tenant. This is what we have been kind of, you know, uh, it's very standard practice in networking. What we have done is to say that, hey, you know, each tenant may itself have a different orchestrator association. So I could have a tenant, and this is, uh, we have seen this use case in, uh, in two different environments. So, you know, if you're doing development in, in a dev, dev and test environment, uh, you may be developing an application that you want to test across multiple hyperconverged environments without standing each one in an isolated manner. So that's kind of one use case. The other is managed services, where you would like to deploy a common you know, physical infrastructure and then uh, on a per tenant basis, uh, deploy. So one tenant may may want to do, you know, based on Nutanix uh, Acropolis hypervisor, another tenant may have VMware vSAN, another tenant may have something different. How do you have all of these tenants kind of, you know, uh, share the same physical infrastructure, yet the automation is occurring, you know, uh, uh, across differently across. Uh, I get you. So what you're saying is you might have a Kubernetes cluster, but some of it might be deployed in a vSphere hypervisor or a vSphere environment, and, you know, VMware environment. Some of it might be on a Nutanix or, you know, there are other hyperconverged platforms out there. Absolutely. But you can still orchestrate the container network as a unified whole, regardless of where it's placed. That's right. Mm. And that's pretty powerful because then your containers can go either, you know, the Kubernetes can cluster regardless of what's happening in the underlying infrastructure, but you can use whatever's suitable. Some people want to do mission critical on vSphere because that's, you know, the nominated thing and that's they're willing to. And other people might want to do, say, well, we're migrating off to Nutanix, so we want to build some stuff on that. And some it's it's this mix and match. The, the ability to have choices changes the way your business operates, right? It does. Uh, although I would, I should point out that you know we haven't seen a use case where there is a unified Kubernetes cluster across different HCI environments. Typically, yeah. they would put one, um, you oh, know, sorry, they would put yeah. different cluster, different Kubernetes uh, environments across different. I'll have a cluster uh, for VMware, a cluster for That's right. H, for you know the for Nutanix perhaps or whoever it That's is, right. and then but you still need to network them together somehow. That's right. And um, and and those are you know you could have policies within um, the container environment on the the V switch, or you could have policies also in the physical network. And just to jump out a little bit, you can also still be doing the physical as well. So if you've got some need to have a physical firewall or some physical IDSs, you can actually break out of the Kubernetes, drop down into the physical network, and then come back. Yeah, and for that, uh, you know, service insertion and service chaining becomes important. And that's you know again, uh, these are uh, constructs that are within uh, BCF, they're fabric-wide. So you just have to set up the rule one time and mm -hmm. then yep. then you apply it across the fabric. So so that's uh, really the uh, the benefit of... Uh, See, that to me is a single pane because now all of a sudden, you know, you're presenting one single pane of glass up to the server team and the virtualization team and they see it from their HCI perspective. But from a networking point of view, I can still see my physical network and I've got some, maybe I've got some specific physical devices in the network that I need and maybe I've got, you know, stuff going on in different clusters and different environments, mainframes and, you know, whatever. And I've got to bring all those together into some sort of unified whole. And that to me is part of the power of Big Switch, the Big Switch fabric uh, tooling and the, and even Big Mon too because the monitoring capability is quite powerful too. Let's not forget That's the rest right. of the screen. Yeah. 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 Um, and one of the things, other principles that we have followed is that, you know, the entire architecture, it starts with an API-first principle. 
So anytime we add a, a function or a feature, it has to have an API. And uh, the other uh, um, you know, architectural choice we made was that GUI and CLI has to run on that API. So API is always tested, always hardened. And we consume these APIs ourselves. So all of this integration that we talked about, you don't have to have a team to build these automations. They all come in as built-in plugins. And so you simply uh, leverage them versus you know, actually uh, doing the coding. You can still code, but coding is optional, right? It's not necessary day one. A question about uh, changeability um, of the network and then history, Prashant. So we, we got into container networking and having that discussion. What happens if I want to go back in time to see what happened when there were these three other containers or 20 other containers that were stood up that aren't there anymore? Can I, is there a go back in time option? You know, that ability to have, you know, not just visibility, but historical time series across logs, events, um, you know, who logged in, what configuration changes are made becomes very important. And that, um, you know, telemetry of, of ability to go, go in the past becomes important. So with Big Cloud Fabric, you know, analytics is built in and you can you can look at what events occurred uh, at two o'clock in the morning. You know, 50 containers got spawned. Was there an issue with the network? You could see all of that uh, by walking back in time. Um, so that's sort of one you know way one can address it built in to the product itself. Another way um, is uh, what we earlier kind of just talked about was, uh, you know, ability to add a highly sophisticated monitoring uh, environment. Uh, to uh, Big Cloud Fabric. And it doesn't have to be Big Cloud Fabric. It can be any environment which monitoring solution can be added. And here, what um, this is sort of the term that I, uh, I you know, like to use is, you know, how do you create a network time machine? Uh, what's a network time machine? Well, look at the network traffic, you know, have, you know, summary of the flow level information of the network traffic or packets themselves, the actual flows. Um, be available at a moment's notice. If you identify an issue, could I go to a um, a repository where that entire traffic pattern is available uh, that I can pull out, like in a in a recorder environment, and then send it to Analytics Node or any other monitoring tool for further analysis. This ability to do this, you know, time machine uh, workflow very quickly, you know, with uh, one or two clicks of a button. Uh, or even automated, is uh, you know is now possible with uh, big monitoring fabric um, you know attached to the uh, switching environment. Another thought here just popped in my head, and that is acquisition of big cloud fabric. So if I'm a customer and I want to get a hold of this, do I go directly to Big Switch Networks or do I go to Nutanix and say I want to stand up a cluster? And and I check the box to get you know, the big switch network pod as uh, as the network transport for the HCI solution I'm buying from Nutanix. What has been very interesting is that um, you know we can uh, bring a lot of innovations, but the way our customers uh, consume technologies and procure technologies, uh, oftentimes still um, you know we have to adhere to those policies. And uh, customers like a single throat to choke. Um, so, how do they procure, you know, uh, software from Big Switch, uh, switching hardware, as well as, uh, uh, you know, workload and mark? So, what we have found is that uh, having a a go-to-market motion with, um, you know, companies who provide open networking hardware, uh, such as Dell and HPE, um, 
has allowed you know the end users, uh, the enterprises, consume you know this disaggregated stack uh, while having a single um, you know engagement point, single contract, uh, single support call. Mm-hmm. So so it's become so from a from a go to market or procurement perspective, it is very e- easy. You go to Dell. We'll purchase uh, the switches, physical switches. We'll purchase, um, you know, big switch software through Dell. And if they'd like to, uh, you know, uh, get the um, uh, Nutanix or VMware solutions, they can also purchase it uh, through Dell. So it becomes a single point from procurement perspective mm-hmm. to consume a variety of capabilities um, from one provider. Probably so a vendor can- they already have a relationship with, already on the approved vendor list. Uh, probably greases the skids in some organizations too. Yeah, absolutely. So Prashant, I guess one of the questions that I want to ask is we I emphasized earlier about how important day two ownership is, cost of operations. How difficult is it to upgrade this? So once you've got Big Switch and you're coming down the pipeline, how do I upgrade? How easy is it to keep moving forward? Um, fantastic. You know, upgrades are super important because one, you know, we would like to have our customers upgrade to newer and newer software because we are able to bring more and more innovation. So we'd like them to consume those innovations faster. Very simple and very automated. So in the case of Big Switch Fabric, you know, it the upgrade is um, uh, takes as long as you would upgrade essentially a logical uh, pair of switches. And that's right. independent of how many switches uh, you have under the, underneath, uh, you know, in your fabric. So the you know, approximately within 15 minutes, you can upgrade the fabric. It's three commands that you go through. Um, and in 15 minutes, the fabric is upgraded. The fabric, when it is deployed in a high availability architecture, which we specify, um, you know, best practices for high availability, uh, there is no, uh, it's completely hitless. So applications mm-hmm. won't see any um any application level outage and um, and the fabric is upgraded, you know, within 15 minutes. It, it, that now again, that, that presumes that you've set it up as a high availability where you've got dual attached hosts to different switches. And so I'm assuming what happens there is you're upgrading one set of switches so that hosts are on the one, you know, running off of the one switch while the others are being upgraded, and then you just flip that around for and upgrade the rest of the switches. That's right. We tag the fabric as uh, you know a portion and a B portion, and you know. Fabric A gets upgraded while Fabric B is, uh, you know, continuing to function. So application traffic continues to traverse, and then we make the switch. If, in the event that uh, certain aspects of the racks uh, in a non-HA um, mode, we flag that, so they would know, you know, as a pre-flight checklist for upgrade, uh, you would know that, um, you know, it would it would give you warnings that these are um, the switches which which are not in high availability mode. And so if you wanted to do that, or if you didn't have, if you if you had, you know, non-mission critical workloads and you didn't care, then you can proceed with the uh, upgrade. I think that's important, that, that idea of getting it upgraded, because we've got to get away from this old idea of, you know, going into a risk window and we, then we reboot everything and it takes forever to get things done. And, you know, it really does change the way that ownership works. I was chatting to somebody about it three or four weeks ago about how easy it is in the modern days to just, you know, they don't do it during the day necessarily, but they don't have to schedule a whole weekend at risk window and freeze everything oh, compared to where they were. Upgrades know. used to be the most stressful single thing that my life involved. Oh gosh, <laughs> I got to upgrade the course, which is, oh, and then the weeks <laughs> of planning and, you know, and so on to, to, to get to a point where you could just upgrade, not just course, which is but a fabric, you know, in an automated way that's fairly low risk and low impact. And, uh, that, 
That sounds like a more <laughs> grown-up way to do things. <laughs> and yeah. you know, every time we have a, a full person in our QA team, you know, they uh, we add a new person in the QA team, they get amazed uh, because you know we tell them to say, "Hey, raise your uh, iPhone upgrade with the uh, Fabric upgrade," you know, in a large-scale environment. And uh, we also do this Chaos Monkey test where we introduce random failures in in the Fabric. And so, um, you know, we want to make sure that the Fabric is uh, at is performing resiliently at scale, both in upgrade environment as well as in a non-upgrade environment. And so, so that becomes very important. And we leverage, you know, Netflix like uh, Chaos Monkey torture test. Yeah, sure that yeah. Uh, the, the fabric is resilient. Well, that sounds like a high note to end our show on today. So this this was great stuff. Now, if you want to find out more about uh, Big Switch Networks, Big Cloud Fabric, hyperconverged infrastructure integration of, uh, of of BCF with whatever platform there is that you're running, you can go to YouTube. Big Switch Networks is there. They're on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram. So very fancy Big Switch with the uh, the Instagram account. So in the show notes at packetpushers.net, or if you look in your podcatcher and look at the uh, the show notes there, we've got links that you can click right through to and find out more information. And uh, that brings us to the end of today's Priority queue. And my thanks to you for listening. And our very special thanks to Big Switch Networks for sponsoring this episode Big Switch could very well be our longest-running sponsor. They go back several years with us, and uh, thanks for that, because without our sponsors, we can't do what we do here at the Packet Pushers Network of podcasts, blogs, newsletters, community discussions, and videos helping you with your professional career development. To find everything that we have to offer, visit packetpushers.net. If you only listen to the podcast, you, you're missing out. I mean that sincerely. Uh, there's a lot to offer uh, that we have to offer at Packet Pushers Net. So tweet at Packet Pushers, follow us on LinkedIn, and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.